You must tell me all your secrets. Remember, we must share everything together. constraining but remember the point of this course is to learn how to write clearly and persuasively think about that think about the truth of your argument you're an amazing person Ellie I couldn't ask for a more incredible daughter are you actually trying to parent me right now who would want me to be a part of their life you don't stay in touch with mom? She really only tells me things about you. Why? Because that's all I want to know about. Why'd you gain all that weight? Someone close to me passed away, and it had an effect on me. You haven't seen her since she was eight years old, and you're going to reconnect with her? Sorry. I don't like this. This isn't a good idea. I'm sorry. You say you're sorry one more time. I will shove a knife right into you. I swear to God. Go ahead. What's it going to do? My internal organs are two feet in at least. <laughs> Why do you suddenly need to see her so bad? Why now? Liz. I'm worried that she's forgotten what an amazing person she is. I need to know that she's gonna have a decent life where she cares about people and that she's gonna be okay. Hello again, this is Annie Rose Malamet, and you're listening to kind of new venture I'm doing where I do review episodes of new movies. So back in October, I did a review of the new Hellraiser movie and a review of Blonde, the Marilyn Monroe movie. And so far, the reviews have not been for movies that I that I enjoy. And that's kind of an accident. But with this one, I really, um, I knew that I wasn't going to like it. So the theme, I guess, for these reviews is like, I mean, I love a good, bad review. So the theme so far is kind of like my attempt at good, bad reviews. And I'm here today talking about the controversial new film, The Whale, directed by Darren Aronofsky, and I'm here today with fat liberationist academic Caleb Luna. Hi, Caleb. Hi. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited to have you. I feel like, you know, you're the perfect person to talk about this film with. I'm so honored. Thank you. And I can you tell the listeners, Caleb, who you are and what your work is about? Sure. Um, I guess I, I identify as an artist, an academic, a public scholar, a theorist of the body, and fat slut. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, so my academic work um, is on race, size, sexuality, um, disability, and media and culture. So um, kind of think critically about the way that fatness shows up um, in various media and cultural objects. Um, and that includes by fat artists and actors, as well as by non-fat artists and actors, right? So the ways that um, internalized fat phobia or externalized fat phobia so shows up through um, non-fat people, <laughs> which is very uh, clear in the example uh, today with the whale. Uh, Caleb, we're talking specifically about the whale today, but I guess I just wanted to gauge how familiar are you with Darren Aronofsky's work and do you like it? Uh, <laughs> 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 might need some, uh, some, uh, insight. I think I don't, I don't, I couldn't recall what movies he's done off the top of my head. I think he did Requiem for a Dream, right? Requiem Which... for a Dream, Black Swan. Oh, God. Okay. Mother. Exclamation Never saw point. Mother. I really, really dislike Mother. <laughs> <laughs> um, I really, I don't think I like him. I think I should be more confident. I don't like Darren Aronofsky's work. Um, he also did that movie, The Fountain, which like all the very deep uh, people in my college really liked. I find his work like pretty insulting and um, maudlin masquerading as prestige. And I think the only movie of his that I've seen that I thought was compelling in any way was Black Swan, and I had a bonus episode about it a couple years ago. Um, but other than that, I'm not a fan, so I just want to, you know, up front say that I'm biased. And this movie is possibly even worse than I even imagined. Um, yeah. <laughs> and Caleb and I actually saw it together in in theaters which i'm so grateful for it would have been so much worse to watch it alone yeah i'm really glad that we were together because as soon as the movie opened so the my tldr summary of this film is that brendan fraser plays a reclusive extremely fat what people are referring to as morbidly obese english teacher named charlie who exists alone in this dank apartment, kind of mourning his partner's suicide. His partner's old room is completely untouched. And he is tended to by his best friend, Liz, played by Hong Chua. And he attempts to reconnect with his estranged daughter, played by Sadie Sink, and a wayward missionary. I forget the actor's name, to be honest with you. And uh, during the last week of his life, quote unquote, last week of his life, you never really know if it is, um, dying of heart failure. Um, and he, the, the movie opens immediately with Brendan Fraser in a gigantic fat suit jerking off to gay porn and having like a heart failure a moment. 
<laughs> which will carry over through the rest of the film. And this is like supposedly the last week of his life. So um, if that summaried it and sell you, <laughs> it's like just kind of miserable. Uh, it's based on a play and I didn't read it, but Caleb did. So I, Caleb, can you tell me a little bit about the play? Yeah. Um, so I also, I do another podcast called Unsolicited Fatties Talk Back, um, which has an obese cast. There's five posts. <laughs> um, Hell yeah. And we're all fit, very fat. <laughs> um, Hell yeah. But we, we did an episode about the movie before it came out. Um, and three, there's five hosts. Three of us were the play. Um, and I was one of them. So that's my context for, um, I mean, other than like the larger conversation on fat suits which I, I said this to you in person like I was so bored by it I'm like if you don't understand by now why fat suits are evil and violent and fucked up then it's you just don't want to like there's nothing more to say about it so I did read the play um and the the film is pretty true to the play I think um with for me, like, what I feel like is foregrounded is that this is, like, a man who's grieving, right? Like, the grief that he's, um, the grief and depression that he's experiencing is is not really taken seriously in either, uh, like, uh, the play or the movie. Like, it's kind of explained, but he's not, he's not thought about or approached as, like, a grieving character. He's thought about and approached as this, like, disgusting fat slob who can't get his shit together like you know i mean i'm being very intentional with that language because that's how both of them kind of um approach him um and yeah it's just they're both pretty awful um i think um you know the play is called the whale um it was written by a gay playwright who is not fat uh samuel d hunter but who was like kind of fat and he like wrote this as like his own personal horror story as to like where he could go um which i think is a really important context and explains like some of why um the fatness is presented the way that it is um throughout the movie i think the other interest like i noticed immediately like brendan fraser is not just watching gay porn he's watching like two white muscle like jocks fucking right like that's also really important like the kind of gay porn that he is consuming um was was really interesting to me and i wonder if um like how much that was considered in that choice like if that was just like the obvious or, or like if the um if Aronofsky thought that that was just like you know a kind of neutral generic kind of gay porn which is very much not but kind of gives an insight into the characters uh feelings about bodies and sex right as well as you know the director who didn't think like maybe like what if we found like you know fat gay porn like how would that change um this experience yeah. And Sam Hunter, like you said, he's a white cis gay man and he had like a weight loss journey, right? Quote unquote weight loss journey. Yeah, he is no longer. I mean, I don't think, I don't know, like 
he was never very fat, but he, he was is... like gay fat, like you said. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I don't yeah. think there's like a couple of phrases that trigger my fight or flight response, like a, a like a sleeper cell and weight loss journey is one of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Did this play, did it, like, win a lot of accolades? I got to assume it does. It, it did, It right? did, weirdly. I don't remember, um, I don't remember exactly what, but it, he, like, it was definitely, like, he won some sort of, like, fellowship on it to get it, and then he was able to get it produced, and then it won some awards, and that was kind of his, like, um, yeah, career as a playwright was really launched by this play, which is also like, I think also indicative of a sort of cultural view of fatness. I think there's a way to tell this story of like a grieving fat person who's depressed that is a lot more generous and sympathetic and caring. And I don't think that that story would have gotten as um, highly praised as this one does. Yeah, it kind of, it probably would have been lambasted as like woke garbage or something. Yeah, uh, you know, I don't, like whatever the terrible language is that reactionaries are using these days. But I, yeah, I mean, it premiered at Venice Fest Film Festival uh, to a six-minute standing ovation. So this which is, is just. <laughs> movie is getting praised it's so ironic i mean the six minute standing ovation is so interesting to me because it's also like i mean there's so much about the play like they literally say in both the play and the movie that like like the the it's called the whale because there's a sort of motif of moby dick you know brendan fraser's character charlie is a college writing instructor um and he keeps returning to this essay about Moby Dick, this terrible essay um, that we eventually find out was written by his daughter. And he like that's his sort of emotional attachment to it. But um, the the writing in the essay is kind of telling the audience how they're supposed to feel about this character. Um, and it says in that essay that is repeated in the play and in the movie that like this book made me think about my own life. And it and um, essentially made me feel really bad for this person. Um, but there's also in the film, there the daughter who is so terrible in both the film and the play. <laughs> um, Extremely but, unlikable character, which I, I guess is supposed to be the point. I think, yeah, I was thinking about it because you had asked that question of like, what function does she serve? And I think it's really like a misogynist gay man's like idea of what a teenage girl is, um, who and kind of like a, a vehicle to express his own unfiltered fat phobia because mm. for for some reason that is like he from the mouths that of like, babes. Yeah, um, different tenor but, coming from a kid. Yeah. Um, but she, there, there's that scene where she makes such a point for him to walk from the couch to the door without any mobility aid. And then when he's not unable to, we're supposed to think that it's like, we're supposed to pity him. We're supposed to think he's like disgusting. 
a failure again like i'm so glad that this isn't me right so and then that that walk that he ultimately makes in the final scene is what is presumed to kill him to push his heart over the edge right so to go from a scene where you're like supposed to pity and discuss this character for being unable to walk what to them i would imagine is a short distance and then stand up for six minutes and applaud is again just like it feels full too on the nose yeah <laughs> yeah for sure i compl- that's exactly what i thought of when i read that was like wow it's very strange that that is happening when this a lot of the drama of this movie capitulates around the immobility of mm. the character there's some territory here that could have been mined that's very rich like moby dick i thought the motif of moby dick was going to be explored through the homoerotic homosocial relationship mm-hmm. in the book uh between ishmael and queequeg it's a very very famous early example of queer gay men's literature mm-hmm. in american literature and also, with the idea of Captain Ahab being a disabled figure who is missing a leg and mm-hmm. has trouble walking, I thought that was going to be tied together with Brendan Fraser's character. Oh my and God. You're giving Samuel D. Hunter so much credit. I'm giving here. him so much credit. I really thought that this was going to be woven in here. It's not mined at all. No. Instead, it becomes this with the missionary character and also the fact that Charlie's partner who committed suicide committed suicide because he was indoctrinated into this evangelical Christian cult, which eventually because they shunned him so badly led to his death. There's this as a Christ narrative going on Mm -hmm. where Charlie, Charlie Christ, I don't know. It's kind of obvious to me. Like, he becomes a stand-in for all the sins of the other characters mm. around him and is the ultimate martyr who eventually dies for all of their sins at the end. So, which is, like, pretty tired to me at this point in Western art. So, yeah, I, yeah none of the interesting stuff is explored. <laughs> yeah, no, I even, I, like, when the film ended, first of all, like, we all burst out laughing <laughs> because yeah. it was just so yeah. absurd. But I really think uh, the people around us were crying. They were. They and were like sobbing, like, Caleb. What the? F-? It was <laughs> so bizarre. But I turned to you and I was just like, I never saw the Passion of the Christ, but it felt like the Passion of the Christ of just like, I don't know, 90 minutes or two hours of just watching this person be like, flagellated again and again and over and over and this like extremely graphic and violent way just and it was just like relentless um, it was punishing yeah it was completely relentless like you said passion of the christ 2 is apparently coming out soon um but (laughs) but yeah it was a lot like that where you're like okay when is this gonna end like i at one point turned to my girlfriend tasha who also came with us and i was like are we gonna make it through this movie (laughs) like it was actually torturous yeah and 
you know, maybe though in an alternate universe, we could have gotten something even worse because James Corden was at one point set to star with Tom Ford directing. Oh, God. Yeah, that would have been horrible. Oh, my God. But Tom Ford left due to creative differences. And George Clooney also briefly considered directing, but ultimately declined. I'm so glad we didn't get those movies. I mean, the bar is low because this one's also really bad. Um, Yeah. But the James Corden, Tom Ford, The Whale, I don't think the world ever needed No, I would imagine that there's this one like really gratuitous scene where Charlie is just like eating. He eats like two large pizzas and then just like keeps eating just like these these ridiculous. I don't even remember. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was like a sandwich of like chips with like hot sauce powder or something. I don't know. It was just like so extreme and absurd and ridiculous. Um, And... I just imagine like a Tom Ford ver- version would be two hours of that. Oh, yeah. I mean, also like any of these fashion people like Tom Ford, like you don't want any of their hands on anything to do with fat people. Though I will say the opening scene of did you ever see Nocturnal Animals? No. What is that? It's a Tom Ford movie from a few years ago. And maybe eating my words a little bit because the opening scene of that has like beautiful slow motion montages of fat women. And oh. it's actually really beautiful. Uh, probably the best part of the movie for me. And the rest of it kind of has like nothing to do with that opening sequence because we see that that is actually an art piece in a gallery that the main character is working at. But it's very very aesthetically beautiful so you know maybe it would have been better i don't know maybe tom ford has like a soft spot for this topic or something um but that was that's definitely one of the most even though it's such a short scene that's like one of the most transgressive depictions of fatness i've ever seen in a film so i gotta eat my words a little bit there but like you were saying about the binge eating scenes. Uh, Aubrey Gordon, who uh, is also known as your fat friend and is the co-host of the Maintenance Phase podcast, said on Twitter, it's so telling that so many only see fat people as humanized in media that shows us doing exactly what they expect, living short, small lives, eating ourselves to death, feeling sad and regretful, all reminders of how tragic it is to be fat and how superior it is to be thin. I tweeted that this just feels like an insight into like the psyche of how thin people feel about fat people because that's like, it feels less like a depiction of a fat life and more, yeah, of of how, of how, Thin people imagine fat people to be their worst nightmare, um, and and the thing that feels most authentic to me about the both the play and the movie um, is the ways that, and I said I think I said this to you going in too, is like the fat the thin people around him are so abusive to him; they're so violent that they are 
that's just cruel to him and mean to him and call it love. And that his, that's kind of what he, that's the standard that's been set for him. And that's what he sees as love so much so that like his, he pushes them to admit to him that they find him disgusting. And then when they do, he is like, thank you. Thank you for being honest. And like for him, like that is. It's like pathetic. um, Yeah. And it's, it's just really fucked up, but also i think telling of the ways that thin people treat the fat people in their lives even if they think that they are doing well even if they think they love these people that there's a sort of undertone that i think is um i think a lot of thin people um agree with that like if you love somebody you tell them that like you know, that their lifestyle isn't healthy or whatever, that you would like express this out of concern. Um, and I think the film and the the play definitely take that approach. Um, and it, it just, yeah, it feels like the most authentic part of this movie um, to the fat experience. Yeah, absolutely. This, you know, mass gaslighting and abuse positioned as love. But that's so Christian, right? This idea that Mm -hmm. truth comes at the expense of love that Mm. or the expense of kindness, rather, and that truth is cruelty, which is love, where actually the reality is like there's so many truths (laughs) Mm -hmm. and in there's what's true for Charlie. There's what's true for the other characters. There's like the objective fact of what's happening. Like there's so many truths. And the one ultimate truth here that's held above all others is that like cruelty and debasement is the way through grief. And I, I just found that so insidious and fucked up for lack of a better term yeah and i think yeah and and there's a lot of you know studies and literature that shows that like people think that shame is the way to get fat people to change um when actually shame a like causes huge amounts of stress on the body which um both like fucks with your metabolism and makes you want to eat to like regulate your nervous system um and is not an effective motivator (laughs) Um, right it never is it just keeps you stuck yeah um but it continues to be like a prominent thought process obviously just so that then people can like can be cruel and and mean to fat people in the name of this kind of kindness um i think the other like christian thing about it is like this idea of like um life and longevity which i always sort of uh scoff at (laughs) this idea that like a long life is innately good and innately desired um and that what makes a good life is a long life right and these very um yeah, it's just not true. And it's not true to so many people's lives, especially people who are struggling with depression. Um, right. Like, especially people who, 
you know, another part, another thing that comes up that's very brief and is like skirted over is that Charlie has chronic pain, right? And so like, you know, when you factor in these things like chronic pain, chronic pain, depression, um, you're not necessarily wanting a long life to begin with. Um, and that isn't necessarily a bad thing, but through this Christian lens, um, it's like the biggest, uh, yeah, the goal. Yeah, that's such a good point and probably goes back to like Old Testament shit because all those, you know, f- patriarchs live to be like 500 years old, apparently, according <laughs> to the, the Old Testament, but yeah, that's such a good point. I mean, when somebody dies young, the the overarching sentiment is like, what a waste, right? Like, yeah. This person had so much potential. What a waste. Whereas like perhaps the tragedy of it could be positioned in a less dismissive terms. And yeah, just this idea that like longevity is inherently good or – the uh, Charlie, it's considered like extremely abject and like a sign that he's given up that he's decided that it's okay for him to die. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, this is like, <laughs> uh, it's making me think about how the story of my grandparents is that they died in their like 70s like in quick succession and that like my grandmother was just so heartbroken um by the loss of my grandfather that she you know she essentially gave up um and died shortly after which we is also the story here right that he is so grief struck by his the loss of his lover that he has given up but there's not any sympathy for um, that it's not romantic because their age, because of how they both die. Um, and also because they're queer a bit too, that even his like, that he had to come to, he came through his queerness, he came to his queerness after he married and had a child and then started dating a male student of his. So even his like relationship is, um, is a bit tainted like he doesn't even get to have like a a single queer life really um and and exploration of his sexuality in that way um we don't know anything about the sex life of him and his partner at all either like there's just a lot the only thing we ever hear about Charlie, with regards to sex, is like him watching pornography and his terrible daughter makes a joke at some point about like, yeah, I can't believe someone was able to find his dick or something. Um, And that's the only thing we ever hear. I mean, there's also, I think this ties in well with my next point because there's a lot of like demasculinization of the queer fat male body uh, Mm. that coming up here and I feel like that ties in really well with this this is a this is a vehicle for Brendan Fraser right who's like having a comeback yeah. so Brendan Fraser was 
everywhere in the 90s. And he was a hunk. You know, he was in George of the Jungle. Um, he was like an iconic hunky guy. The mummy. The mummy. Yeah, exactly. And just like this ripped macho Hollywood guy. And he disappeared for a really long time. And you would see him on TV and stuff, but it was always like, where did that guy go? And then in 2018, this GQ uh, profile came out called Whatever Happened to Brendan Fraser. And Fraser discussed years of suffering from injuries sustained from performing stunts during the filming of The Mummy and uh, subsequent surgeries, personal loss, a divorce. But the biggest thing that people focused on was that he shared uh his trauma of being alleged allegedly quote-unquote groped by philip burke a former president of the hollywood foreign press association and burke told gq that fraser's account was a total fabrication so brendan fraser is sexually harassed by another man he's this hunky beefcake icon becomes disabled and traumatized and puts on weight as you do because that's a very natural human response to those conditions and becomes falls out of favor and is now back playing a fat person and Brandon Fraser is like one of those people where when people looked at him years later they would be like what happened like he got fat He's obviously nowhere near as fat as Charlie in The Whale, but he's like gay, fat, gay fat or Hollywood fat. Um, so like crazy goalpost standard. And I feel that this is very strongly tied to this role. It's like the star power of Brendan Fraser is carrying this. And in fact, that's really the number one thing that's being discussed about this film. But there's also a mirroring going on because mm -hmm. Brendan Fraser gained all this weight from like the trauma and disability that he experienced, just like Charlie in The Whale. So there's like a strange mirroring going on there. I, I, I would, do you have, do you think anything about that? Yeah. I mean, the other th part is that he's also aging, right? Yeah. And that he's like Hollywood aging is not like actual natural aging. Um, and yeah, that there's, I think that is a lot of people's appeal to the movie that we talked about, like how his performance is being very heralded, um, which is probably, yeah, it is the best performance in the movie. I wouldn't call it a good performance. <laughs> like the, the other thing is that just like the film is so bad on every level, yeah. right? Like, all the acting is bad. All the writing is bad. Staging is bad. Costuming is bad. You're like, well, this was clearly a play. It's one of those yeah. movies where you're watching it and you're like, this should have stayed a play. You didn't yeah. use the filmic form to say anything different about the story. Right. Um, so, yeah, it's just. I don't know. It's also interesting that he like he is fat, but he put on a fat suit to become much fatter mm -hmm. um he also is not queer um and he's so, not queer I mean, but he's like uh 
he was sexually harassed by a man. Yeah. So like in the public imagination has become this sort of symbol of like queer interpersonal violence in Hollywood. Yeah. And the effeminization mm-hmm. of like being sexually assaulted by a man um, that kind of mirrors the effeminization of being fat as a man, as like a white cis man, especially presumably straight, right? That the, there's all the, these like layers of emasculinization. Yeah, absolutely. It, the most heartbreaking thing for me really is that Sarah Michelle Geller really loves this performance and this play and I'm, <laughs> I have to see I started following her on Instagram recently because I'm such a huge Buffy fan um, but obvi- and she like I just keep having to see her praise for Brennan Fraser and this film and I'm just like Buffy how can you do this to me <laughs> I literally said on Twitter like I was joking but I was mostly serious that this movie is two hours of Brendan Fraser screaming in a fat suit yeah. Like it's just Brendan Fraser pigging out in a fat suit or trying to get off the couch in a fat suit and screaming. And even the fat suit is weird. It's like it's bizarre. Like the way that the way that the fat falls on the body is very unnatural. Mm-hmm. As like a fat male assigned person myself, I'm just like you're like this is not how fat develops on male assigned bodies um it's it's it it was again just another indicator of how far removed anyone on this film is from like the actual lived reality of fat people yeah it really you know there's much being made of like oh brendan fraser wore these prosthetics that were like over 300 pounds and like isn't that amazing and it's like yeah it looks like prosthetics bro like i he doesn't even have tits like exactly yeah he would have tits yeah (laughs) and they there's like great pains made to show that he doesn't like like showing him in the shower i mean it's just like so and i say this as someone who like studies exploitation film this movie is so exploitative yeah it feels like a snuff film like i've never seen a snuff film but that's what i felt like i was watching yeah i mean it just felt like literally just watching this person die for a week and like what am i supposed to get out of that and uh, Nicholas Baer, who's an assistant professor of film studies at the University University of Gorningen in the Netherlands, I don't know anything about Professor. Whatever Baer. that means. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Professor Baer. Um, but he says the whale is offering us an opportunity to recognize the virtue and the kind of fundamental decency of Brendan Fraser, who has been really wronged by the industry and has long suffered. Um, I'm like, well, that's pretty optimistic. I feel like this is just playing off the suffering. Like, yeah. it, it's just, it's capitalizing on it. Yeah, somebody else reminded me on Twitter, too, that, like, Brennan Fraser has been in Doom Patrol for, like, three or four seasons mm. now, right? Like, he's in this television show that I think is, like, a hit, is, like, widely acclaimed. I enjoy it. I think Brennan Fraser does a great job. He's, like... And um, he he plays like a robot character, so he's like, again in another kind of suit. But it's just like for this to be 
Brind to be framed as his comeback when he's been back is another like really interesting part of this very telling yeah <clears throat> i want to talk a little bit about the roxanne gay review because she's such a prominent fat figure in our culture right now yeah who like i mean i was thinking about like you know i am not a 600 pound person but thinking about that's another part of this is that like his weight is is so privileged um as this like phantom number of like what that is supposed to indicate when we know that like Thin people have no idea what weight looks they like on a fat no body. no idea. I remember reading a book once, and the author was describing how a 200-pound woman couldn't fit in a car. <laughs> I was like, they, they have absolutely no idea. Like, maybe you guys don't understand it, but, like, a lot of average straight-sized people are 200 pounds. Yeah. Um. And so just knowing that Brendan Fraser, I don't know how tall he is, but I know he's like taller than me. I, th- I imagine he's like six foot or taller. Um, anyway, I just, I think Roxanne Gay is particularly um, relevant because I, I feel like she has a body that is probably most similar to like the character that is um, trying per- portrayed here, at least in terms of like height and potentially size i have no idea how much yeah and i know she's i only know this because i've read hunger that um roxanne gay talks about the number of her weight and she she weighs 500 something pounds so you're correct and that she is closer to this body um and she can move and walk around yeah I mean, that's the other part of it is, like, thin people don't understand, like, how fat you can actually get uh-huh. before you, like, can't walk around anymore. Like, there might be maybe some other issues, like the chronic pain right. issue that's going on. Um, I loved Roxanne's gay, Roxanne Gay's review, but, Caleb, you were saying that you didn't feel like it was scathing enough. I would love to hear about that. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I just... I don't know what I expected. I I guess I expected more like cursing <laughs> or something. Yeah. Or just would be like how just extremely unacceptable and dehumanizing and violent this is. And I think she does say that. It's just in a more a much more New York measured times um, yeah. tone. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, maybe a little different than what we're doing here. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think One of the most egregious parts of this movie is, like, we're talking about the use of prosthetics in the fat suit. And, Caleb, this is something that you and I study. And you said at the top of the show, if you don't understand why using a fat suit is so violent, like, you're not going to get it at this point. But I guess I want to hear from you why what's what's wrong with the fat suit and like specifically in film um i feel like that's a really huge question but i would like to unpack that a little bit and um talk about the fat suit because again this isn't like an actually fat person playing this role i think there is a difference in something like um what's eating gilbert grape 
where the actress is actually fat, um, there's something there's something going on there that's a bit different. Um, although I would say I've I've kind of broken down the tropes that fat people fall under, and I just talked about this this morning on BBC Radio Four for the show Screenshot, uh, which is yeah. coming out on January twenty seventh. So that'll come out after this, actually. And I talked about how that movie and this movie fall under the subcategory of um, fat people as object of pity in films. So, yeah, I wanted to talk a little bit about fat suits, some of the most egregious examples and why we hate them. Yeah, I mean, I think there's so many reasons. Um, I think for one, I think the the most, the biggest thing for me is that they continue to exclude fat people from visual culture and presence in life, right? And that they, they lean into this idea that like, there's a skinny pe- person waiting to uh, burst out inside of us, right? Yeah, it's and like, that, the, like the actual, that's like the literal manifestation of that. Yeah. Um, so that like fat people can never be on screen at, in any sort of authentic um, way that we always have to be on screen filtered through um, some sort of character uh, caricature written by a thin person, either as um, pity, scorn, disgust, comedy, right? Um, I wrote one of my, the first essays I ever wrote was about the like ex-fat character, right? Like classic Monica from Friends where who again was like a size eight as a fat person. Right. <laughs> but um, you know, in that instance, like in the flashback sort of uh scenario, like I, I wrote about Monica from France and Schmidt from the New Girl, where like their lives are not able to begin until they have um lost the weight, until the fatness is behind them. Um, there's also the issue that it takes uh in addition to arresting fat representation on screen at the level of like um, thin people's kaleidoscope idea of what a fat person is. It also takes uh, roles away from fat actors, right? Like Guy Brandon was saying, I'm a fat gay person. I could have played like- Like literally, yeah. (laughs) Um, And I think, you know, like I- I was saying, like, there's a way to tell the story with more sympathy and um, care for the character. And without that sort of lived experience, you don't get that. Um, But the other, I mean, the flip side of that, this movie also made me think about Precious, which I haven't seen in years. And I'm like, I don't know. It's hard, like... And on the one hand, Precious gave us Gabri Sidibe. Thankfully, you know, she was um, well awarded and accoladed for her performance in that as she should have been. But it also, I, I don't know, it just made me think back to that and my experience watching Precious and trying to like disentangle um, the distinction there and like how much can a fat actor actually bring to these roles 
when they're written by non-fat people. I again, I haven't researched Precious. Actually, I'm talking out of the side of my ass. So I don't know who, like, how many fat people were involved in that. Yeah, none of the people who made that movie are fat. I mean, except Gabrielle Sidibe, and it's kind of. <laughs> even though made by black people, quite anti-black. It's very much exploiting stereotypes to make a moral judgment or point, even though the whole idea is like, it's not a judgment, but it so clearly is. So, um, again, I haven't seen it in a minute either. Yeah, my last uh, encounter with it was I had a student who wrote a final paper over it, um a, a thin white student and that was like oh god that, that was <laughs> very uncomfortable yeah um, but there's something to be said here for i mean that's another example that i talk about in my lecture about fat women in film which is called big punchline and that she's also one of the Uh, figures of the object of pity that I talk about but she's also an extension of these very racialized tropes like the mammy figure uh, that has a really long and storied history and of course there's also a a really a, a tradition in comedic black cinema of the fat woman the man in drag and the fat suit um which is like a, a mammy archetype and it's also again this demasculinization of the fat man sort of that we're talking about um it also intersects with like visions of fat queerness like divine and uh in john waters films but it's like so um different than that because it's it's not a, an actual fat person it's a thin person in a fat suit and there's so much to say about those archetypes and those those kinds of movies um and i wanted to uh talk about what my girlfriend tashane said about this because she we were talking about this movie yesterday and she said this she was like you should include this in your notes and i was like you're absolutely right this is a great point yeah and yeah, yeah she was saying that the nutty professor or something like the nutty professor is it's a harmful and it's harmful in its own ways, right? And it uses the fat suit, which is like not – we don't want that. Um, but in some ways, it's almost less harmful than the whale because there's at least depictions of black joy and community with other fat people. <laughs> and the main character is like loved by his fat family, whereas in the whale, Charlie is like a burden. He's hated. He's reviled. Tashinade says that she thinks this has a lot to do with the fact that a black person is behind that movie. Um, and, you know, there's also this idea of, like, Julius, the, the, the Eddie Murphy character, is, like, a positive vision of masculinity, even though there's all these fat jokes. But it's when he becomes skinny that he becomes this, like, vapid, materialistic misogynist. And the fat version of him is positioned as, like, loving and respectful. And, of course, there's the issue of, like, the fat jokes, which the movie completely hinges on. But there's also a different context here because of the culture of roasting and and camaraderie in black community. And this idea that, like, the roast, like, prepares you for the cruelties of the world. 
And I am by no means holding up this movie as a good film or a positive representation of fatness. But there is something to be said there for the difference between like the way white mainstream film has portrayed fatness versus the comedic approach in black film sans precious. Yeah, and that's so wrapped up in, you know, the ways um, that white supremacy has shaped our ideas of fatness as well as anti-blackness, right? Um, I think that comparison, um, or maybe not comparison, but like a parallel between The Nighty Professor is so interesting also because um, I, it's, I haven't seen it in a really long time, but I remember like they the parents are fat. Like mm-hmm. the whole family is fat, right? Yes. And so part of that love is also a familial love, a romantic love. Um, whereas with um, fat phobia under white supremacy and anti-blackness, um, part of the way that it operates is that it uh, tells us that we can't be loved. Um, in these bodies and this way and that's kind of what the whale um perpetuates even though i think we see a flashback or like we're shown a picture of charlie with his ex um who and charlie is fat but not as fat as he is right um which again i just think there's like a lot of interesting there's I have so many questions about like Charlie and his relationship with his like East Asian, like skinny lover. Like that's a story I'm interested in. That's something I like want to know more about the racial dynamics and that the size Mm. dynamics, right? Like um, I I have so many questions. I was actually getting the impression that his lover, Brian was also white because Liz says she was adopted. Oh, into this like white evangelical family. Otherwise, though, that would have been very um, interesting. <laughs> but I think yeah. I think it's more like, you know, she was adopted into this like sort of colonizing family. That's that would make sense. But it, I don't know. It's just again, I'm like, well, then why, why, <laughs> yeah, make her East? I mean, um, yeah. There's just so much that is presented and not treated with care Mm -hmm. not treated with kindness not minded with any sort of um value it's yeah (laughs) yeah it's it's just it's abusive like the movie it's like the people in the movie the movie is abusing us yeah it's just all refracted through this like white gay man's violent psyche you're right yeah yeah it's all it's like all his own like I don't know anxieties yeah yeah it's really like a perfect illustration of how violently fat phobics as white gay men are yeah I mean it's a huge problem in their community and if you can call it a community their culture it's a huge huge problem and that's it's held up as fine art in this film yeah uh there's also a really rich comparison between Charlie and Julius from The Nutty Professor and us mm. um, as fat academics. <laughs> I guess I just wanted to hear a little bit about from you about what you felt about that part of the whale. 
Um, yeah. About this idea of like, I mean, I think that there's this idea of like the fat man as um, like more soft and weak and feminine and therefore like more prone to uh, professions that require the use of the brain and not the body. Uh, there's also, of course, like that's what's been said about Jewish men as well. So there's a lot of history there with like anti-Semitism and um, homophobia. And I think we're also seeing that anti-fatness plays into this as well. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that was really interesting to me about this movie too, is that like, and I, I will say this, but I will also preface this by saying I, would be surprised if other fat people felt this way that this is very much a, a me experience right but like there were all these ways that i identified with charlie in terms of being a fat queer male academic who i taught college uh writing classes online in the pandemic um i had it like i said to you it reminded me a lot of especially like a younger version of myself with a lot more internalized fat phobia um, and the ways that, um, yeah, I think I similarly, like, pushed people to call me disgusting in these ways and then was like, oh, thank you. Finally, you're being honest when, like, that was completely unnecessary. Um, yeah, I mean, I think so one of the things um, that well, most struck me, I think that they they kind of go out of their way to set this film before the pandemic yes um it's set during which, the trump election of 2016 yeah which is interesting to me because like now zoom teaching is like not necessarily so um out of the box or, or i know and it really doesn't translate in this movie because you're like okay so what they're on Zoom. Right? yeah but, but I then think you remember they had, it's 2016 yeah they i feel like they had they had to make that distinction to make his online teaching all that more abject right, and pathetic, right? right? Yeah. And then even the way that um it's shot, it's filmed is that like his box is in the middle of the screen and he has his camera shut off. Um, it's just a black screen. He doesn't even have like he doesn't have a picture of himself. He doesn't have a picture of like a fucking dolphin or anything. There's just he, he's just like empty and blank and just like this black hole of despair right and then all of his students cameras were on around him which is the exact inverse of my experience teaching online <laughs> the students cameras are never on yeah i was often the only person with my camera on being like please somebody help <laughs> um <laughs> but yeah so there were these ways that i I definitely identified with Charlie um, on certain levels. And I think, again, also as somebody with like chronic pain and like limited mobility. And I think that that um, also gave me insight into just like how far removed um, this depiction was from the reality of people like me, um, right? But to what you're saying um, about his profession, yeah, I mean, um, in Sabrina Strings' book, Fearing the Black Body, where she does a, an incredible um, sort of overview of the development of, um, you know, the subtitle is 
the racial origins of fat phobia. She does a really amazing job of sort of um, detailing the development of um, fat phobia as anti-blackness. And I like, I teach this book as like a history of whiteness and white people because she also does a really good job of detailing how thinness was developed as um, a white racial standard in response to the association of fatness with blackness, right? And so that's also wrapped up in this like sort of enlightenment era um, presumption about um, the body and it's uh, as an exemplary of a subject's ability to be measured and controlled and that there was this very strong movement um, in Europe in the 18th century that like a thin man is like a smart man, um, is, is like very tied up in masculinity and white masculinity, um, that a, a measured person has control over their senses and over their body and that's indicated through their uh, presentation of thinness. Um, and I, as a current fat academic of color, like I still see that um, ideology resonating throughout the academy of like, the academy is a very, very thin space. Um, it's disproportionately thin, but because it's this like environment where um, it's a self-perpetuating narrative that they continue to exclude fat people from this what is imagined like upper echelon of society um, and then treat the exclusion of fat people from these spaces as evidence that fat people are are merely unfit to be there right um which i think is true of also like you know your local shopping mall and like every other aspect of society but it's it's um, particularly egregious and relevant to me as a fat academic. Um, so yeah, I think that that is um, present in the film. I think it's like his, because um, he goes through such pains to teach online and not be seen. Um, which also just like as a pedagogical move, just like I can't imagine that being successful at all. No. And I mean, part of my work also is about like queer male sexuality and the way that fatness plays into that and the ways that fat queer men are feminized um, through the fatness, especially if you're not like a bear, right? A bear is like the um, acceptable way to be fat as a gay man because um, the kind of hair that is required, for the body hair patterns required to be um, accepted in the bear community, as well as the kinds of fatness um, that bears have is meant to offset the sort of objectifying um, feminization of fatness, right? Like bears have, like, I have a very smooth, soft, fat body. I am not a bear, right? Bears have like a hard fat, a muscular, uh, masculine fat. Um, and so that I, I also see that in um, in this film, which is why I, I think why I have questions about him, his relationship with his um, partner. Also, I just have like you know I'm just interested. His thin partner, yeah, yeah. Um, 
but yeah, definitely the way that his, um, I don't know, his body is meant to indicate his um, lack of control and virility and, and masculinity um, because men also don't have feelings, right? And so like, even if he were, even if you have a loved one die, you push through it and you keep showing up to work um, and you don't slip into depression. Um, and if you're going to have disordered eating, it better fucking get you a gym body, right? It better be the right one. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so all that feels very wrapped up in, into Charlie's depiction. Absolutely. It's so well said. And I think I think we've given this movie all that it deserves. Yeah. And I think I'm I think I've said everything I need to say about it. Yeah, I don't know that there's um, anything more to say. I'm just, I'm really, I'm disappointed, but not surprised at the praise that it's getting. Yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised, but there will be a, there will be the brave few like us that are like, what the hell is this? Um, But yeah, I mean, you know, the the establishment is so stupid. I mean, they're they're like I think it's one of those Hollywood things of like Roxy and Gay said this where she was basically saying there's a trend in Hollywood of like people getting awards and praise for being ugly and using mm-hmm. all these prosthetics because it's like this ironic subversion of how they're famous because they're beautiful. Yeah. So it's this is very, you know, like uh, Nicole Kidman in the hours or anyone that's ever had a prosthetic or like played a cognitively delayed person. It reminded me of Charlize Theron and Monster, right? Uh, in terms of like putting on a fat suit and playing gay, like getting an award. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's um, considered a very uh, edgy career move but yeah. it's so it's so the opposite of edgy because it's like obvious oscar bait uh to me at this point yeah. where it's like there's something just inherently funny about like taking this perfectly primed and polished person and being like this is just one of you one of you fat sacks of shit in the audience just an average joe and it's like but we know it's not all it does is just push the art that is actually made by fat queer people Mm -hmm. further to the margins as like uninteresting um or not even worth seeing i mean i talk about all the time about my my own journey to being a performer was moving through the internalized fat phobia that told me that like my body was not worth being seen on stage that like people did not want to see my body on stage or bodies like mine right and having to work through that um experience um and i think that films like this just reiterate them um and this really sad way yeah i felt actively bad about myself after we watched this like it was an experience that has not left me um and not because 
I look like Charlie or my life is similar to his. It's more I was just like, wow, okay, this is how people see us, huh? Like, yet again, like, uh uh-huh, okay. Like, the unflinching cruelty of the the thin gaze. Yeah. Yeah, and also just, like, it felt like an exercise in, for me, and, like, how far I've come in, um working through my internalized fat phobia and having compassion for myself, right? Like we, um, you know, there are all these moments where like, he hasn't, he, he uses mobility aids in the film. And like, for me, I'm like, oh, that's great. Like, I'm so glad he has that, but it's presented in the film as such, um, as pathetic and like, um, but that's like the ableist gaze, right? It's this idea that like if you use a cane or a walker or a wheelchair, like it's a loss of freedom when actually to disabled people, it's a symbol of freedom. Like yeah. it, it's it's autonomy. So it, it's just such a like stunted ableist fatphobic view. Yeah. And I, I my worry is that it's going to reify these ideas for both thin people as well as fat people who aren't in the space where they have fat community and have um, been able to see different orientations to having a fat and disabled body, right? And ways that we um, deserve care and tenderness and softness um, for our body's needs. And that it's not, we're not only to blame for our body that there's like a vast complexity that um that is going on <laughs> and and in this film the only thing that that his body and disability are um offered is shame and judgment and and anger and hatred yeah and this idea of like how fat people don't feel pain like oh everybody God. else, you know, he says at one, she's like, I'm going to stab you. And he's like, go ahead. My internal organs are two feet in. And that got like a hearty laugh from the audience. Yeah. And I'm like, that's not true. No. <laughs> like, that's that's not how bodies work. And even still, like, you can still bleed to death. Yeah, like, it would still hurt. Yeah, I was, I was like, this is so like what skinny people think yeah. being fat is like. And, you know, the reason I think these things are important is because it plays out in real life. Like medical professionals literally are, it is proven that they are rougher with fat patients and with black patients because they think that we don't feel pain the same way mm-hmm. as they do. So... It's, yeah, I mean, fat fat has nerve endings in it. Like, it's connected yeah. to the rest of your body. So, it yeah, it was just, like, and then the anatomy being so bizarre. I was like, have you guys ever met a fat person? Yeah. And then there's, you know, this comment very early on where his nurse friend is like, go to the hospital. And he's like, no, I don't want to go to the hospital. And there's no consideration about why this person right 
might not because he knows that he's only going to be further abused at the hospital that they are not going to help him in any meaningful way whereas like you and i watching it are like immediately we know why he's not going to the hospital right but they don't say it out loud so it just kind of comes off like he's stubborn and like wants to die and sort of like doesn't want to be abused any further Instead of that, he's actually actively being killed by the medical industrial complex by denying him care. Yes. Which is what happens so often to fat people. Right. And it's very victim blaming. It's like, oh, it's up to him to make these changes, but he won't go. And it's like just very oof. Because he's so dumb and stubborn and you can tell that because he's so fat and disgusting. Right, exactly. Yeah, it's it's just more of the same bullshit. So with that said, Caleb, thank you so much for exercising this movie from my psyche with me. Um, I appreciate you, you so Annie. much. Uh, I appreciate you so much. I've been looking. I mean, we've been planning this for a while, um, and it's been on my mind and heart for a long time. So I'm really, really looking forward to releasing it with this conversation yeah next time caleb's gonna come back and we're gonna talk about a good movie Um, hell yeah yeah we're probably gonna talk about hairspray (sighs) and i think that would be a really really good one for a main episode to do like a beat by beat uh dissection so yeah i'm so excited caleb where can people find you on social media if you want them to Thank you for asking. Um, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Dr. Dr. Underscore Chairbreaker. Um, yeah, and then my website is Caleb-Luna.com. The best handle ever, Chairbreaker. Just <laughs> search Chairbreaker and Caleb will come up. Uh, and you know where to find me, Girls Guts Giallo on Instagram, Girls Guts Giallo X on Twitter. Sign up for my Patreon. It's how I make all of my money. That's how I can do this. I need help. I mean, I have a lot of help. I have great patrons. But please sign up for my Patreon, patreon.com slash Girls Guts Giallo. I have so many benefits. I'm extremely consistent. I update it like every week. So see me there and thank you for listening.